0: Well, if you're a a sports fan out there, and I may be alienating a good portion of the room, but hey, that's okay. If you're a sports fan out there, then uh, your team goes through down stretches, meaning they go through seasons and sometimes multiple uh, where the, the management wanting to make it sound good calls it what they term a rebuild era. Meaning, they are rebuilding to the point where they can contend again, where they can be interesting to watch again, where they can be exciting to watch again, and in the meantime, when they're rebuilding, what's meant is don't expect great things, because this is not a good time for that team. Well, God never puts his church through a rebuild. God never puts his Christians through a rebuild when it comes to the mission that we have. If a sports team sets out and their mission is every year to win as many games as possible and to win the World Series, to win the Super Bowl, to win the NBA championship, whatever it may be, during a rebuild season, they go into that season kind of going, you know what? We're not going to get there. We're not going to be successful. Well, church, God has given us a mission, and that mission is to make disciples. And that making disciples starts with sharing the gospel, with evangelizing, with telling people about Jesus. We're telling people about what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. That he rose from the dead so that we can live with him forever. And that he's given us his spirit so that we can follow him as our Lord and our King. That's the mission that we have. That's the message that we are to go and deliver to the world around us. And see, that mission never goes through a rebuild. God, no matter our circumstances, always wants us to be on mission for Him, and God's mission will never be stopped, no matter the circumstances, no matter the opposition we may find ourselves up against. And that's what we find in the next section of Philippians here. Philippians chapter 1, by the way, hopefully. If you're taking advantage of our challenge to memorize Philippians, you're in the process of that already. I'm memorizing the book with you guys, and so I hope to be able to to memorize it with you and be done in December when we're finished with this book study. Um, But if you're new with us, the challenge is memorize the whole book. You're going, wow, that's a tall order. Yeah, but there's a a carrot at the end of that stick or a Twix bar, whatever you prefer. the carrot at the end of the stick. Some of you may jive with that, but the rest of us want something a little bit better than that, right? Well, there's a leather-bound Bible of your choice at the end of this stick. If you memorize the book of Philippians, uh, that's what we have committed to providing you uh, as a, a an achievement, accomplishment, a reward, an earthly reward. But the greater reward is you are storing up God's word in your heart, which is going to pay dividends for the rest of your life. Um, but we're in the next section, verses 12 through 18. And so as we get into this section, what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about how God is doing things through him while he's in prison that the rest of us would think, man, that I would never have expected that to happen because that's the type of God that we serve. Pick up in verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That should beg the question, well, Paul, what what has happened to you? What are you talking about here? And we mentioned it last week, but more specifically here, Paul is in jail right now. And that's where he finds himself. In fact, three times in this passage that we're going to be studying tonight, he mentions his imprisonment. It's a word in the Greek that means chains, bonds, fetters, right? And so Paul is in jail, but this is not like bougie jail, okay? Paul is in chains, and that's what he references three times when he's writing this letter. And we're going to find that his imprisonment is for Christ. This is not Paul as a, a criminal that has done something wrong that's now bemoaning the fact that he has to go to jail. No, he is in prison because of his testimony of Jesus Christ and in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul's in jail, but just to, to wrap our minds around a little bit of, of where Paul is, if you see Neapolis, kind of dead center, top of this map there, top of the, the, the bay there, Uh, Philippi is is not far from there, okay? So that's where the church is that Paul's writing to at this time. But we're wondering where is Paul writing from? Because Paul is not in prison in Philippi, okay? Paul's in prison somewhere else writing to Philippi. Again, right around the region of, of Neapolis there, up in the center of the map. So where was Paul? Well, there's some that think that Paul was in Rome. In fact, this is one of the most common Uh, answers to this question. We do know that Paul was imprisoned in Rome for a time, and we know that this was uh, where that we we believe that he eventually lost his his life was while he was in prison. Uh, But there's some challenges to why Rome doesn't necessarily make sense for where he's writing the letter to the Philippians. Number one is the the distance between Rome and Philippi. The distance between Rome and Philippi was about 700 miles by land and about 900 miles by sea, okay? And Paul's talking about journeys back and forth to Philippi, sending people back and forth to Philippi. That's quite a trek. Just to put that in perspective, that's about Orange County to Salt Lake City, all right? That's the distance we're talking about being covered there without vehicles, without transportation. I looked this up. I can't remember what time it was. I looked it up, but it it takes you like 10 hours and three minutes uh, to get to Salt Lake City. Some of y'all have been there on the the mission trips that we've taken there. You remember that trip, although you guys may have been in a plane, so it was not 10 hours and three minutes. But this was, uh, this was a, a difficult journey, all that to say, back at this time that Paul was writing. So that's one of the things that, that works against it. Also, we know from Paul that his desire after his imprisonment to Rome, in Rome rather, was not to go back to Philippi, but, but actually to go to Spain. And we, if you remember in Acts chapter 20, Paul was meeting with the Ephesian elders. You guys remember that maybe? And as he's meeting with the Ephesian elders, he's departing from them and he's weeping with them because they knew that they wouldn't see him again. Well, we're studying Philippians, not Ephesians. Yes, but Ephesians was in that same general region. So there was an idea that as Paul left to go to Rome, he was, he was done in that area, that he wouldn't come back. Because remember, Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel where the gospel had not been preached before. So he's ready to move on, and he wanted to go to Spain after Rome. Okay, so if not Rome, then where else might it be? Well, another option is Caesarea, Caesarea Maritima. And Caesarea is, again, right kind of in the middle of the map, on the coast there. And you can still go there today. In fact, if you go to Israel, that's one of the places that you'll go. It was one of the first places that Amanda and I went. And Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea. We do know that. In fact, you can go and see uh, the prison cell where he was before he was eventually transferred to Rome. And so this is kind of Acts 23, Acts 25, as as Paul's standing there and they're wondering, are you trying to convert me? And he's saying, I'm not just trying to convert you. I'm trying to convert everybody within earshot. That was when Paul was in Caesarea Maritima. So it's possible Paul was writing the Philippians from this location as well. What works against this? Again, distance. We're over a thousand miles away now from Philippi, from Caesarea Maritima. And so Again, when you consider Philippi back up in the middle of the, the map there, Caesarea Maritima is way down off the, the, on your side, the bottom right of this map. It's not even on the map. So we're over a thousand miles away. And so again, the travel back and forth. One final option is Ephesus. Ephesus is possible. If you look up on the map, again, dead center of the map, you see Ephesus right there. It's possible that Paul was writing while in prison in Ephesus. And maybe you're throwing a flag because you're going, I don't think Paul was in prison in Ephesus. Well, You've got an argument there because it never says in the scriptures that Paul is imprisoned or in, in jail in Ephesus. But there was a massive riot that was instigated by those opponents of Paul while he was in Ephesus. So it's possible that he was in prison there. All that to say, what we do know is this, Paul's writing from jail. And so he's writing from jail. He's writing to that region in Philippi, wherever he was, that's where he was. And that's where he was writing to. The point is what? The point is that he's in prison. He's in prison. And imprisonments, if you weren't aware of this, were meant to stop people from doing something, right? Whatever you're put in jail for, part of the reason you're put in jail is to stop you from doing what you were doing, right? Like if you kill somebody, don't do that, okay? But if you were to do that, you're gonna get arrested and put in jail because they don't want you to keep killing people, right? There's that, that whole, if you're robbing jewelry stores, they're gonna arrest you. Well, maybe not anymore. But they would have used to arrest you and they're going to put you in jail because they want you to stop robbing jewelry stores. Paul is preaching Christ, okay? And he's preaching the message of salvation by faith alone and Jesus alone, by grace alone, right? He's preaching that gospel and the authorities come along and they don't like it and the Jews don't like it and they instigate the opponents against Paul and Paul is put in jail. Why is he put in jail? So that he will stop what? Preaching Christ, But what we're going to find is that's not what happened. Again, that's why he says in verse 12, I want you to know that what has happened to me, this prison cell that I'm sitting in writing to you from, it hasn't stopped the gospel. In fact, he says this, it has really served to advance the gospel. The word really in the Greek there, it means instead, rather. So he's saying, look, I'm in jail, but what has happened to me? it, It hasn't slowed me down. Instead, what it's done is it's, it's really advanced the gospel. The NASB says, my circumstances has, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Uh, the the CSV, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. It's a, a surprising outcome is what Paul is communicating here. The point of verse 12 is this. The circumstances that Paul was facing did not hinder God's mission for Paul. And y'all, that's true for all of us. No matter what circumstances you are facing in life, God's mission will not be stopped if you are faithful to him. Paul was being faithful to the mission. And so he's writing this letter and he wants them to know that. He's writing to Lydia and her family. He's writing to the Philippian jailer and his family. And he's saying, look, don't be worried. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious for me. Because I'm still doing what I've always been doing. I'm still preaching the gospel. I'm still reaching people for Jesus. This imprisonment, it hasn't stopped me, hasn't slowed me down, hasn't checked me up. In fact, it's advanced the gospel. How cool is that, right? And Paul's faithfulness in the face of opposition is a great example for you and I to emulate as well. Point number one tonight is this, joyfully share Jesus wherever you are. Joyfully share Jesus wherever you are. Paul's writing all over this letter about rejoicing. And he's going to get there at the very end here of our passage tonight. He's going to talk about rejoicing, having joy. Paul is having so much joy and rejoicing. Why? Because he's able to still tell people about Jesus. Verse 13, look at this. It says, so that it has become known. Throughout the whole imperial guard, the whole palace guard, the Navy Seals of Rome—it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Anybody within earshot that's going to listen to me, guess what they're hearing? They're hearing that I'm here for Jesus. Implied in that is they're going to hear the gospel. Anybody that's around me, I'm preaching Jesus to them. I'm telling them about Jesus. These chains—they're not slowing me down. They can't put a chain on my mouth. I, I'm going to keep preaching as long as I can. I'm going to keep preaching. There's a story of a guy that that I'm reminded of. He was a, one of the later heroes of the faith. His name was and I think I brought him up here before because I think his name is so cool, right? And if Pastor Rod had had a son, I'm sure it would have been at the top of the list. Maximus the Confessor is this guy's name, okay? Like if you guys were looking for names to tuck away for your kids in the future, that's one right there. Maximus the Confessor. Maybe if Danny ever has a boy, Maximus the Confessor <laughs> is just top of the list. Why is that top of the list? So here's the deal. Maximus, the confessor, was preaching Christ. And you know what? The the Eastern Orthodox Church, they didn't like it because he was preaching the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone. And he was preaching against some of the things that they were doing that were adding to the gospel. And he's saying, that's not right. I'm going to preach Jesus. And he's writing about Jesus. Well, he's preaching Jesus. So the church is like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to silence him. So you know what they did? Not to get overly graphic, but they cut off his tongue so that he couldn't preach Christ anymore. Guess what Maximus the Confessor did? He started writing about Jesus and sending letters everywhere he possibly could. So they cut off his hands. And he kept going, I'm sure, doing whatever he could do to figure out a way to tell people about Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here in prison. He's like, you want to jail me? Fine, jail me. Whoever's my cellmate, the the guards, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Because that's the mission in front of us. And, and, and here's the deal, y'all. Paul's not the hero here. God is. God's taken the desire of his enemies and just flipped it, turned it on his head. Said, you want to silence him? Uh-uh. You have just changed his audience. You want to make him embarrassed? You want to make him ashamed? Uh-uh. He's just going to preach more boldly. You want to make him afraid and anxious? Nope, not happening either. He's just going to continue with his mission. He's just got a new audience and a new pulpit, the floor of the jail cell. Again, Paul's not the hero here. He made that clear. If you've been tracking with our DBR, he makes that clear in First Corinthians. This morning we read this, right? First Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. He says this. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the growth? Come on, who gives the growth? God gives the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Y'all, Paul's not in prison patting himself on the back. He's in prison saying, look how amazing God is. You think you've stopped God? You haven't stopped God. You just changed the venue. I'm still preaching Christ. You want to silence me? You're not going to be able to silence me. I'm just going to tell whoever's around about Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what we need to be doing here. Y'all, we're talking about evangelism. Here's what, what we're talking about. We're talking about what Nathan was talking about during announcements. We're talking about sharing Jesus with people, all right? We're not talking about you saying, man, I'm, I'm following Paul's example because I, I'm, I'm pressing on and being faithful by not having sex before marriage. Great. You want a cookie for that? Like, you're supposed to do that, right? No, we're talking about this is, this is about sharing Jesus with people. That's what we're doing here. That's what Paul's calling us to do here. That's the mission of the church, is to be ambassadors for Christ. And Paul's doing that with anybody within earshot. He's saying, let me share Christ with anybody around me. Yo, we don't have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious leaders of the Jews chasing us down, trying to silence us right now. And as of this point in time in our country, we still have the freedom to preach the gospel. We have freedom of speech right now. But we do have an enemy that wants us silenced, wants us ashamed, wants us afraid, just like Paul's enemies wanted him silenced, ashamed, and afraid. I wonder how often you've used these lines as to why you're not sharing the gospel. I I just don't have time. I'm so busy right now. I just don't have the time. I'd love to go out and, and be on the evangelism team, but I just don't have the time. Yeah, I know I've got this roommate in, in, in they're kind of a, a captive audience for me, but I, I just don't have the time. I'm so busy right now. Or maybe you've said this, I, I, I just don't, I don't know the person well enough. I, I don't know them well enough to, to, to go there, to, to talk about spiritual things with them. Or maybe, you know what, maybe you're working with unbelievers, Maybe you've got an unbelieving boss, and you've thought about, man, maybe I should be sharing the gospel with them, but then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, ah, but I I just, I don't want to get fired. I don't want to lose my job. If I start talking to people about Jesus at work, that's not going to, maybe that's not going to make them happy. Maybe they're going to complain to my boss. Maybe I'll lose my job. I don't want to lose that opportunity. Or maybe you think, well, I just don't want to make somebody angry with me. I don't want to have a red X with my neighbor on the map. I I, I just don't want to make anyone upset with me. Or maybe you just think, I don't want anyone to make fun of me for being a Christian. These are all the lies and the obstacles that our enemy puts at us. You're not being imprisoned. You're not being handcuffed. You're not being shackled to a, a prison wall but you are being slowed down. You are being silenced by an enemy when you buy into these lies, when you stumble by these obstacles. And y'all, we need to learn to set these aside and recognize them for what they are. These are lies. These are not from the Lord. These are not from God. God wants you to preach Christ what if it costs me my job? Do you believe that God is faithful to provide for you? Do you believe, do you believe that you've got a church family that's going to be able to care for you? Do you believe that, that what the Bible says when it says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake, when Jesus says that? Do you believe that, y'all? We need to be about sharing Jesus everywhere we go. Because why? Because God's gospel is not going to be stopped by any sort of opposition. And if you're not going to preach Christ, somebody else will. But we have a a call, we have a command that we should be obedient to, to share Jesus every single place we are. Was Paul expecting to be imprisoned? I mean, maybe after two or three times, he's probably like, okay, this is going to happen to me again, I'm I'm pretty sure. But initially, probably not, right? But God knew he would be. Did Paul think his mission field was going to be the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard? Probably not. But God knew it would be. Y'all, whoever you are around, that is your mission field. You're going, some of you away to school still, you're going to be in a dorm. Your dorm is your mission field. Well, I'm going to Cal Baptist. Great. Your dorm is your mission field. I'm going to Cedarville. Fantastic. Your dorm is your mission field. Until you know for sure that they know Jesus, they need to hear from you about Jesus. Some of you going to other schools, UCLA, some of you going to to other state schools, some of you staying here going to Saddleback, that's your mission field. Joyfully share Jesus wherever you are. They need to hear about Jesus, y'all. They need to hear about Jesus. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what's coming a week from now. We don't know where we'll be. We know what our mission is. That's not going to change. That person that you know, I'm sure you do, or you've heard about them, that they're in line at the grocery store going, hey, do you know Jesus? And the person's like picking out their People magazine from the rack. Hey, can I, can I tell you about, or the person that's picking up their coffee at Starbucks, and like they're like, what, what's your name? And then they're giving the four spiritual laws from Romans as their name, so that the barista has to like write them all down on the coffee <laughs> cup. This is a really long name. Wait a minute, what? That person, though, as, as absurd as, as those scenarios are, we can learn a little bit from that. Because again, y'all, the, the two most important things that we can be doing here on this earth until we get to heaven, first is exercising big faith in our God. Because when we get to heaven, we won't need that faith anymore. Faith will be sight. And the second thing is what Paul's talking about right now, right now, and that is evangelism. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your schooling. It's more important than your future spouse. That's the call on us. To be witnesses for Jesus wherever we are because the gospel won't be stopped. Look at verse 14. People are watching Paul in this area wherever he is, whether it's Rome or Caesarea or Ephesus, the local church is taking notice of Paul. Look what's happening in verse 14. Most of the brothers, he says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All right, well, who are these brothers? They're, as I just mentioned, Christians living in the, the area people that are, are part of the church, brothers and sisters in the, the local church there, and they're becoming aware that Paul is there, and they've heard rumblings, hey, Paul's busy sharing the gospel with the soldiers in jail. How cool is that, right? And they're getting excited about that. I don't know if you remember back when James Coates got arrested for preaching the gospel up in Canada, and it became like this rallying thing for the church. And it was like, dude, James Coates is the man, and he's just this beast, and and even at my seminary graduation, we, we like John MacArthur piped him in on the, the big screen, and he told us to go get Jesus, go get him for Jesus or something like that. Rah rah! But it was it was meant to pump us up to get us excited because here's this saint that's being faithful to the call, and he's suffering for it. But he's not backing down. He's not compromising. He's going hard. That's what this church is hearing about Paul, and they're drawing inspiration for it. From it, They're going, hey, man, if Paul's doing this, we need to be doing this. Let's get together. What's our plan of attack? There's more people that need to hear about Jesus. He's telling people inside the jail about Jesus. Let's get busy telling people outside the jail about Jesus. If this was Rome during Paul's day, this boldness that he talks about is needed because this would have been in the early 60s AD, which is right around the time that a guy named Nero was reigning at that time. You remember his reign, right? Burned down Rome. Who did he blame for that, by the way? The Christians. Said the Christians did it. He would have garden parties and literally tar Christians, dip them in tar, scalding hot tar, and then light them on fire to light his garden parties. That's the guy that's the emperor at this time. You think the church needed some boldness right now? Yeah, I think they did. But even if it was Caesarea or even if it was Ephesus, the point is the same. They're looking at Paul's example going, man, if he's doing that, we need to get after it too. They're drawing that encouragement, that boldness. They're they're not just seeing that he's joyfully doing it. We need to joyfully do it. They're seeing, man, Paul's not being stopped. And look at where he is in his conditions and everything else. And they're using that as a motivator, as a rallying cry for them to go out and to share Jesus as well with bold confidence. That's point number two tonight. Share Jesus with bold confidence. Share Jesus with bold confidences, Because remember, circumstances will never stop God from carrying out his mission. And sometimes... He uses the circumstances of other people to encourage us in our own mission field. Sometimes he reminds us of the martyrs, reminds us of the faithful saints that have gone before us even, that have given their lives for Jesus to spur us on to get after sharing the gospel with people. I love reading the stories about the faithful martyrs and all they've done. Some of the more common ones that you've probably heard of before, maybe these five names ring a bell. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Euderian, Ed McCauley, and Pete Fleming. If you don't know their story, let me encourage you to look into it a little bit more after small groups tonight. Probably the most famous of those is, is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, he and his wife Elizabeth and the, these other four men and their families, they went to South America to reach a, a tribe of Indians that had never been reached with the, call, the gospel called the, the Akas. And they went to, to try to befriend them and to get to know them and to try to learn their language and to try to, to bring Jesus to them. And they eventually, through all, all these circumstances, made contact, were able to, to land on a beach there right outside the, the, their territory, their village, And they begin calling in their language that they had picked up from somebody and saying, we're friends, we're friends, we're friends. And sure enough, some of them come out and it looks like everything's going well until they bring some of their tribesmen back, some of their warriors back, and these warriors come out and they they kill all five of these missionary men on the beach. stab them to death with, with spears. And they've got their families that are back on the other side of a radio at base camp waiting to hear back from their husbands, their fathers, their dads, and they hear nothing. And they launch an air flight to, to check on them because they knew where their camp was, and they look down on the beach and they see their bodies laying on the beach. They recovered four out of the five men, one washed away in the river. Elizabeth Elliott, I don't know if you know her story, Jim's wife, widowed by these tribesmen that had speared her husband to death. Nobody would have blamed Elizabeth Elliot for just coming back to the United States and raising her family. In fact, nobody really would have blamed Elizabeth Elliot for being a little frustrated with God. Her husband was a young man passionate about reaching somebody for Jesus, reaching people for Jesus. He had so much potential, all five of them did. And yet all five of them lost their lives. Nobody would have blamed her for kind of going, God, what are you doing right now? This is not how I planned my life. If you don't know the story, Elizabeth Elliot went back after the same people that murdered her husband, made contact with them, learned their language, helped oversee the translation of the Bible into their language, shared the gospel with them, and saw the very men that stabbed her husband to death with spears come to faith in Jesus Christ. Nate Saint's son, Steve, took his family to go live with them, became one of the adopted children of this tribe that had murdered his dad. And we're afraid somebody's going to make fun of us for sharing the gospel with somebody like, like that, that, that story should fire you up. It should get you excited to share Jesus with somebody. Look, if, if you knock on the door and somebody opens the door and they got a spear, just run away, okay? But chances are that's not going to happen. But they need Jesus. And if Elizabeth Elliot can look in the eyes of her husband's murderers and love them enough to share Jesus with them, we should love the lost in our lives enough to share Jesus with them. We should be inspired by the boldness of Paul and share with bold confidence, just like these church members were. They're looking at Paul going, man, if Paul's doing it, how much more should we be doing this? Stories like this are so good for evangelistic motivation, right? And y'all, sometimes we just need to be motivated. This is a little embarrassing, but my wife and I, when we first got married, we used to watch The Biggest Loser sitting on our couch eating ice cream. Yeah. Yeah back when our metabolism was like full gear and we could just be like, whatever, we're eating bonbons, get on that treadmill, right? <laughs> but now it's like, okay, we're going to get motivated by that. You see somebody drop weight and you're like, I, w- I want to go do that. You see them put in the work, you're like, I want to go get after that. Whatever it is, whatever your hobby is, maybe you see somebody that's a little bit better than you, a little bit further down the road, and you're like, I want to go do that. I want to be like they are. Well, Paul's setting the pace for us evangelistically. He was setting the pace for for these people evangelistically, and he was inspiring them to get after it. They're going to preach Christ. They're all more bold to to speak the word, the word there being what? The the gospel, without fear, without fear. The Bible talks about fear, doesn't it? How about what Jesus says about fear? Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. One of the biggest obstacles that you and I share in the gospel is fear. Fear of man, fear of suffering, fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of embarrassment, fear. And here's Paul in prison, not knowing if he's going to live to see the next day. I'm going to share the gospel. I've got time today. I've got another day. I'm waking up this morning. I've got breath in my lungs. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Do you guys know what the First Amendment says? Some of y'all may have memorized it back in the day. Here it is, in case you don't. Here's the First Amendment, right there. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Meaning, Congress is not going to make a nationalized religion, saying this is the only religion that can exist in this country and nobody else can be anything else. Or... Abridging the freedom of speech—that's what we think of most most often with the First Amendment. Freedom of speech; they can't abridge it. They can't limit the freedom of of, of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Can you guys imagine the damage Paul and Timothy and the others would have done if they had the First Amendment? Like seriously, though. Like, can you imagine? When you get to heaven and Paul's like, what did the constitution say? You had a constitution? Wait, what? And you did what? You watched how many hours of Netflix? <laughs> but, but for real, y'all. Like the quote from C.T. Studd last week. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And you have this right now, at least. You've got this governmental protection that's, that's overarching you. Saying you don't have to fear what Paul is facing. Jail time for going out and telling somebody about Jesus. How much more should we be doing, y'all? And Paul should be that motivating force for us. You guys have ever seen the movie The Patriot? Mel Gibson? Yeah. There's that scene where towards the end, spoiler alert, America wins, okay? Um, it's America versus England, and America wins, okay? So I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything, I don't think. If you guys took any sort of world history, U.S. history, you should know that. If not, find a different school. Yeah. And see me afterwards for some book recommendations. But Gibson, he's in this battle, right? And, and the forces, the American forces look like, the Patriots look like they're, they're being beat back. And there's a scene where he looks up and he sees one of the guys with the, the flag. And the flag falls and and all of the forces are, are, are falling back. They're retreating from the enemy. And Gibson, who's lost his son at this point, runs forward, picks up the flag and starts charging backwards towards the enemy and exhorting all of his fellow patriots, stand and fight, turn and fight, stop falling back, stop retreating, let's go. And in the movie they do and it's one of those like goosebump moments and you're like, yes, America, right? y'all that's that's that level of like excitement and motivation we should have that with with Paul right here seeing what he's doing in jail yes let's go get him there's people dying out there without Jesus they need to hear the gospel let's go after them let's share Jesus with them but here's the thing y'all look we're not going to do this if we don't believe you're not going to do this. You're not going to share the gospel. You're not going to have bold confidence if you don't really believe the gospel. You're not going to share the gospel. You're not going to have bold confidence if you don't really believe that people are going to go to hell if they don't have the gospel. You're not going to share the gospel. You're not going to love people that way if you don't believe that being with in heaven with God is so much better than any other alternative. See, if you don't really believe those things, if you're just playing church, then right now this message is falling on deaf ears and you're shrugging and going, eh, nah, somebody else will do it. The other reason why you won't share the gospel is if you don't love people. Right? If you don't love someone enough to look at them and go, man, if, if they don't hear about Jesus, they're going to hell and there's no second chance, no matter what any heretic preacher says to you about how love is going to win and somehow melt the heart of God and he's going to forgive everybody in hell. Look y'all, that day's never coming. Somebody who dies without Jesus goes to hell for all of eternity. Forever and ever and ever in a place that the Bible talks about of torment and smoke goes up without end. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Endless pain and turmoil if you don't love them enough to make it a little bit uncomfortable between you and them so that you can tell them about Jesus, then again, this message is gonna fall on deaf ears. See, if we don't believe the gospel and love the lost, then we're never gonna do this. We're never gonna follow Paul's example. We have to to believe it, we have to love them. Enough to say, look, even if this is the last conversation you ever allow me to have with you, I'm going to have it with you because it's so important for me to tell you about this. This church was motivated. They were excited. They were preaching Christ, but not all of them were doing it for right motives. Look at verse 15. It says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill Okay, so some are doing it for the right reasons, end of verse 15, goodwill. They're doing it because they're seeing Paul, they're motivated by Paul, they believe the gospel, they love the loss and they're going out and preach Christ, right? The latter do it, verse 16, out of love, love for Paul, love for God, love for others. They do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. They're going, hey, let's pick up the, let's pick up the flag that Paul had been carrying that he had to drop when he was imprisoned, although he's still going, but let's pick it up outside. Let's keep going let's keep pressing on. We love Paul. Paul was doing this. We love him. We love God. We love Jesus. We love the lost. Let's go get him. Right? Some were doing that. But then there was this other faction, and they were proclaiming Christ from envy and rivalry. Envy and rivalry. In what sense? Well, they were looking at Paul going, man, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3? There's people that are like, dude, Paul's my boy. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos right? Like, like we got celebrity pastors these days. It's like, well, I like John Piper. Well, I like MacArthur. Well, I like this guy over here. I like Sinclair Ferguson, right? I like R.C. Sproul still, right? And, and everybody's kind of wearing the badge. And, and so some people are noticing that and they're thinking to themselves, man, maybe the gospel is my ticket to, to being known. Maybe the gospel is my ticket to, to getting a following, to getting a crowd. Paul had that? Why shouldn't I have that? And so they start preaching the gospel in order to, to gain followers. And y'all, just fully transparent. That's one of the biggest temptations that your pastors face today. Is you, you can pray for us is that we stay humble. That it's not about the, the Instagram game. It's not about the, 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 the followers that we have, be it social media or, or in a room with people. We're not after being the next anybody. We're after following Jesus. But for, for some of y'all in the room too, that's a battle. That's a struggle that you have. And you're looking at, well, maybe if, if people think this way about me, and if, if Christ is the ticket to getting that people's opinion of me to where I want it to be, then great. I'm going to, I'll follow Jesus that way. That is not the right reason to follow Jesus. That is not the right reason to preach Christ. And some are doing that. And Look at verse 17. They want to afflict Paul. They want him to hurt because of this. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. They're preaching the gospel for them, their own advancement. Not the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus, but their own advancement. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're thinking, man, Paul's going to be so jealous of me because look at me. I'm out here free. Look at my hands are free. I don't have chains on. Look, I can wave them around. Paul, I can preach with, with, with movement, I, gestures. That's what I'm looking for. I can use my hands. i thinking, man, Paul's going to be jealous because I'm out here free to preach Christ. And look at all the people that are following me now that used to follow him. They couldn't have been further from the truth. Paul's going to go on, as we'll find out, to say, to praise God the gospel is being preached. It sounds dumb, y'all, but when we become factionalized as a church over secondary and tertiary, meaning third-level issues of doctrine, then we are in the same position as some of these people were begin to think that our brand, our model, our way is the only right way that anyone could ever do church or hear things, and it becomes more about us than it does about Jesus, then we are, we should be pitied, is what we should be. Is, it, is, is doctrine important? Absolutely, 100%, Yes but we can't let our particular theological tribe and camp cause us to lose sight that God is using believers from a breadth and from all across this globe that believe differently from some areas that that we believe. He's using them to preach the gospel, to see lost come to saving faith in Jesus. And that should cause us to rejoice as it did for Paul. Point number three tonight is this. Rejoice wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Rejoice wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Because look at at, at Paul's mindset, his response to this. Verse 18, I love this. What then? Paul's like, what do you want me to do? You want me to get mad? I'm not going to waste my energy on that. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I, what? Rejoice. As long as the gospel's there and intact, as long as it's the saving message of faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone, right? As long as that is there, I'm gonna praise God that it's being preached. You'll have to answer to him regarding your motives. You deal with that with him when you get to, to see him face to face. I'm just stoked that you're preaching the true saving message of the gospel and people are getting saved. And that's where Paul is. Paul loves Jesus so much that he, and, and loves the lost so much that he's saying, look, if you wanna hurt me by preaching Jesus, dude, beat me up. Beat me up with the gospel. You want to inflict blows on me by being faithful to what God has called us as a church to do? Come on. I will be your punching bag all day long. I'll be your pin cushion. And you know what? I'm going to cheer you on in doing that. Because Jesus Christ is preached. I've been working with my kids, taking them out for runs with me recently, and Josh hates it. (laughs) Absolutely hates it. Every single second of it. But my daughter, Annie, she, she's my ambitious one. She's my go-getter. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, I'll go for a run with you. I came home the other night from work, and I, I got home, and I was like, Josh, you want to go for a run with me? He's like, no. <laughs> and my daughter was like, I'll go, Dad. So I was like, great. So she laces up her little shoes, and, and we went out for a little run in our neighborhood. And as we're running, I'm thinking, man, this is so good. My daughter just wants to spend time with me. It's a sweet daddy-daughter moment. She loves me so much. She just wants to be with Dad, and that's awesome, and I love that but we're running and I'm looking at her and I'm like, you need to slow down. You need to take a break. She'd She's like, no, no. What was Josh's time at this point? And that's when the truth hit. She's just running with me because she wants to beat her brother. She's, she's just after going home and be like, Josh, I beat your mile time, which she did by the way. Um, <laughs> But y'all, you know what? I was, I was still just happy to be with my daughter. She was with me. It was time that I got to spend with her. And I rejoiced in that, right? And, and that's kind of the idea here, right? Look, I grew up with a mentality that was like, dude, if you don't believe exactly the way that I believe, we don't have anything to talk about right now. Because we're just going to come to blows, right? Not literally, because I, I, I ran from fights, unless it involved my mouth. I was really good at winning those, not so good at winning the ones with the fists. But I, I was sitting there going, dude, it, it, where where are you at? My my measure of a of a Christian, and I say this to my own shame. I literally, honestly, guys, my measure of a Christian growing up was like, are you a Calvinist or are you Arminian? Like, do you know the doctrines of grace? Where where do you fall on that? Do you still are you a continuationist or a cessationist? In other words, do you believe in the, the, the miraculous gifts still, or do you believe that they've ceased? And that was kind of where I judged somebody's usefulness as a Christian. that's so dumb. Now my main concern is this, what's the gospel? Like, are you preaching the gospel? What is the gospel that you're proclaiming to people? That's what matters, y'all. If a church is faithful to the biblical gospel, we should be celebrating them and cheering them on rather than sitting on the sidelines, taking pot shots and criticizing them over whatever their doctrinal differences are from us. Because y'all, here's the deal, we're gonna be spending eternity together with them. If they believe in and preach a biblical gospel, they are gonna be with us in heaven. And we may disagree on the finer points. We may disagree on the more minor issues. We may disagree on some of the more major second level issues that aren't salvific. We're still going to be together for eternity. And you know what? They're pulling in the same direction as we are when it comes to seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And y'all, we need to be celebrating that. This world is far too dark a place for us to be dying with friendly fire as the church in the United States. We've got to stop with the nonsense and the tribalism. And we've got to get after preaching the same gospel and trying to join together and partner together to see the gospel advance and lost people saved. Paul's in prison and people are literally preaching the gospel to offend him. Nobody's preaching the gospel to offend you. Nobody's believing in Arminianism to offend you. Nobody's baptizing babies to offend you. Nobody's doing any of that to offend you, right? So get over yourselves and start loving people that are in the body of Christ and let's move towards the goal of seeing lost saved. caveat, theology does matter. It does matter. But look, it doesn't matter to the point where you should look down on another Christian because they believe differently than you do. Believe what you believe. Know why you believe what you believe. Have convictions. Don't be just tossed to and fro, right? The Bible speaks out against that too. But look, y'all, love one another. And the main issue at stake is, do they believe the gospel, and are they proclaiming a biblical gospel? And if they are, man, we need to cheer them on, not discourage them, not take shots at them, not undermine them, because they don't believe the same that we believe on secondary and tertiary issues. Look, y'all. I have my doctrinal convictions because I believe the scripture teaches them, but I will be the first to tell you there are faithful Christians that believe differently than I do. And I know enough of my own limitations to know that maybe I'm going to get to heaven and find out I was wrong. In Galatians chapter 2, I think we see a little bit of this. Galatians 2 verses 6 through 10. Paul is talking there about a situation where there's a difference between his concerns and the concerns of James, Peter, and John. Because James, Peter, and John were primarily pursuing and going after the Jews. And so the issue of circumcision with Jews and Jewish believers was a different issue than it was for Paul with the Gentiles that he was pursuing. And Paul's willing to say, you know what, you guys do that this way. I'm going to do this this way. And and we can just have different approaches on this particular issue at this point. We don't need to divide over this. But where Paul did draw a line is in Galatians chapter 1. Verses 6 through 10. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. Paul writes this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The thing that mattered for Paul most above all else was the gospel, the biblical gospel. People are coming to Paul going, hey, Paul, this guy over here is preaching Christ and trying to steal your your followers for himself. Paul is sitting there going, okay, he'll have to answer to God for his motivation someday. But is he preaching the biblical gospel? Can you just tell me that? Is he preaching Christ? Well, yeah, Paul, he's preaching Christ. Great. I'm going to rejoice in that. Are people getting saved? Yeah, Paul, people are getting saved, but, but don't you care? No, I don't care how many followers he has. The gospel is being proclaimed. The gospel is being preached, and in that I will rejoice, is what he says. I rejoice in that. This is a humility all that says God's plan for salvation is bigger than me and bigger than my theological, theological camp. I had a pastor in seminary who said, when we die and go to heaven, we're going to be surprised at a few things. He said, we're going to be surprised at, at who's there, and we're going to be surprised at who's not there. It's a little bit of what we're talking about here. He also used to tell me this all the time, and it helped me in my young, early seminary punk, I thought I knew the world days, used to tell me, PJ, the kingdom of heaven is broader than I'm comfortable with. That's a good reminder because the guardrails for the kingdom of entrance into the kingdom of heaven, faith and repentance in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not secondary and tertiary issues, the main thing. Circumstances will never stop God from carrying out his mission, ever. He will always move the mission forward. God never takes his church through a rebuild. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for that reality, that truth, and God, we pray that you would raise up more faithful churches that proclaim the true biblical gospel, that preach Christ and Christ crucified, that see lost come to faith in Jesus, that see people follow Jesus with their entire lives. God, we pray that you would create and and raise up more faithful, biblical churches that are are doing that. And God, I I pray that you would give us the eyes to see the churches that are around us that are doing that and not to to look down on them, not to be so prideful and haughty as to criticize and and judge them because they don't have all the same beliefs that we do, but that we would cheer them on and pray that you would increase their number and and bring people to salvation through the messages that are being proclaimed in their pulpit because the gospel is there. God, make your church strong in this nation, in this country. It needs to be right now. Make it bold in this nation and country. It needs to be right now. Make your people who make up the church faithful proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us willing to go out and point people to Jesus no matter where we are or what our circumstances may be. And make us look to those that that are saints that have gone before us or even some right now that are suffering persecution, that are, are... suffering in in jail and giving their lives for the gospel. And let us draw inspiration and encouragement and exhortation from them to get after sharing the gospel as well, God, and make us effective in all of these endeavors. Lord, not for our own sake, not for our own name, but even as we've mentioned a couple times this morning in the sermon and even tonight, it's you who caused the growth. And so make us faithful to go out and to sow the seed, to scatter the message, to to preach Christ. And God, I pray that you would activate that message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving, pure, unadulterated gospel in the lives of lost, to see them come to salvation and to grow your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.